The KCLR Power Hour with Nathalie Lennon. and welcome back. You are listening to The Power Hour here on Casey Lord. This is Natalie Lennon with you until 7pm chatting through all things fitness, nutrition, mindset and well-being. A very happy June 1st. It is the beginning of the month and I hope yours is off to a fantastic start. In case you're new here wondering what The Power Hour on Casey Lord is all about, that is giving you the tools and inspiration to take control of your health inside and out. It is about giving you the power to maximize the quality of your life, broaden your mindset and maybe just help to push you outside of that comfort zone a little bit more. Don't forget our contact line here on Casey Lore, sponsored by ourdinnersready.ie is 083-306-9696. You can always reach out to me on my Instagram too with any feedback for, from the show, any questions that you have for next week. That is at Natalie Lennon with a H underscore. Always happy to help if I can. Now, coming up on this week's Power Hour, you may have saw on my Instagram, I am actually in the kingdom. I am in Dingle in County Kerry, co-hosting a wellness trip and making the most of the beautiful scenery down there. So what we are doing this week is going back on the best bits, my favourite interviews and sections from the Power Hour so far here on Casey Lore. Can you believe it has been 18 weeks of the Power Hour and there was so much there to dive into, it was hard to choose. But here's what you can expect on tonight's show. So a Q&A diving into the topic of omega-3 fatty acids, which are just so important to our health. They are essential. And also skin health. What foods and vitamins and nutrients should you be looking out for in your diet to improve your skin's condition? And then two of my favourite interviews on the Power Hour so far. One is with Sinead Crow from Intuitive Eating Ireland. And we speak all about how you can approach your diet in a more positive light, without the numbers, without the pressure, without diet culture impacting the way you view your food. It's a fantastic interview. You don't want to miss it. And of course, a local James Lettingham from Kilkenny City Harriers speaking to us all about running. And there is some great information there as we approach the summer months and everyone is taking on running as I am myself undertaking the VHI Women's Mini Marathon very soon. And of course, we will have our myth bust and our cheer challenge to give you so that you take on something this week that will improve your mood. But don't go anywhere. First, we have a quick ad break. Have something you want answered? Just let us know. It's the Power Hour Q&A. Hello and welcome back to the Power Hour with me, Nathalie Lennon. So our usual weekly Q&A, I got two very interesting questions this week. Now, the first question that came in, am I getting enough omega-3 from vegan sources? I have chia seeds, flax seeds, walnuts and hemp seeds daily. Okay, so omega-3s. Let me tell you a little bit about these first. So the straight answer to this question, are you getting enough from those vegan sources? is potentially no. You're more than likely not getting enough of the omega-3 fatty acid form that your body needs to properly utilize it. Now, this might get a little bit complicated, but hold on to me. So, omega-3 fatty acids, what are they? Well, they are essential fatty acids. We all know that we have fats in our food, but these are really, really important ones that our body cannot make on its own. That means that we have to get these essential fatty acids through our diet so that our body can function properly. Our body 
literally needs them to function properly. But I can tell you for sure that there is a lot of people who do not get enough omega-3s or enough of the right kind. So there's different varieties, shall we say, of omega-3s. They carry out really, really important functions, guys. And we genuinely just don't emphasize things like this enough in school. So what are their functions? Well, they're a key structure of every cell wall. They provide the starting point for many hormones. The ones that regulate blood clotting, for example, contraction and relaxation of your artery walls. And omega-3s are so important to reduce inflammation of the body. So think arthritis, think acne. We want to reduce that inflammation. And note that a lot of foods that we eat nowadays cause more inflammation in the body than we can cope with, which can lead to serious health risks. So we need anti-inflammatory foods like omega-3s. But are you getting enough? Well, if you just have the vegan sources like hemp seeds, chia seeds, flax seeds, they're a form of omega-3 called ALA. And we don't want to get too complicated here, but the form we need and our body can use is EPA and DHA. That's as complicated as we're going to get. Now, we can convert that vegan form into the one we use, but the conversion rate's really low. So what I suggest is if you want to get enough omega-3s, is include fatty or oily fish in your diet, guys. This is salmon or mackerel. And please note that tuna in sunflower oil is not an oily fish. That is just tuna in oil. <laughs> so if you don't eat fish, I'd suggest getting a fish oil supplement with EPA and DHA. That's what you want to look for on the label. Now, if you're vegan and you don't want a fish oil supplement, recently, and thank heavens they have, science has managed to create an algae-based omega-3 that will have DHA and EPA. So look for a supplement if you don't like having your fatty fish. Long story short, vegan dietary sources may not be enough, but they still have really important functions in the body. So keep the chia seeds, flax seeds and walnuts coming. The second question that came in was, what are the best foods for healthy skin? And this ties in really well because one of the best foods you can have for healthy skin is omega-3 fatty acids. So your fatty fish that can help keep the skin thick and moisturized. Actually, a deficiency in omega-3s can cause dry skin and it can cause inflammation like redness and acne. You want to get antioxidants like vitamin E, you want to get vitamin C. So you're looking at foods like avocados, walnuts, seeds, broccoli, tomatoes, bell peppers, all those wonderful things. Vitamin A is also really important. So again, tomatoes, sweet potatoes, carrots. But remember, you can eat all the good foods in the world to aid your skin health. A diet high in sugar, you can't outdo. So you need to strike that healthy balance. There are two questions this week. Have something you want answered? Just let us know. It's the Power Hour Q&A. Helping you take control of your fitness, nutrition and mindset. The KCLR Power Hour with Natalie Lennon. Okay, so we are back here with a very special guest that I am delighted to be speaking to today. Last week, we had lots of questions about diet, how to count calories, should we count calories, weight loss, the weight loss mentality, should we have that mentality at all? Now, I have been following Sinead Crow, intuitive eating counsellor from Galway for a very long time on Instagram, and I am thrilled to be joined with her today. Sinead, how are you keeping? Hi, how are you doing? So good to be chatting to you today. I'm delighted to have you here. So Sinead, I'm going to dive straight into it. I just said there about the questions that we got in last week on the show with regards to diet, dieting, calories. And the first question I have for you, uh, we're going to dive into intuitive eating as an idea in a second. But the first question that's on everyone's mind is maybe why you would recommend 
people potentially avoid calorie counting when it comes to their diet? Yeah, of course. And it's such a it's such a common question that I get asked a lot as well. And it's understandable because I think now we see it. We see calories mentioned on labels everywhere. And there's a lot of, I suppose, push for people to understand what calories they're taking in. And I think, you know, it's important to know that like calorie counting is not a benign, I suppose, intervention. It's very much associated with an eating disorder pathology. And that's not to suggest that every single person who counts calories is going to wind up with an eating disorder. But we have seen that, you know, there's a huge amount of people in society today struggling with disordered eating. So may not necessarily meet the criteria for an ED, but calorie counting plays a huge role in that. And I suppose very simply because once we start, I suppose, the number crunching and we become um, it can become quite obsessive, you know, looking at calories in, calories out. And I think that it's not a simple equation as that, because we know that up to 70 percent of our body weight and body size, body shape is determined by our genetics. And we each utilize calories differently. And there's loads of other reasons, I suppose, to know that even in terms of like the the law around labeling, there is, you know, 20 percent margin of error when it comes to how nutrition facts are, um, you know, outlined wow. on our packets of food, etc. So it's not even accurate. Exactly. Um, and you know what you said there, Sinead, about uh, calorie counting often leading to an eating disorder or disordered eating. Last week was my first week here on the Power Hour on KCLR and I dove into my story a little bit and I was one of those people who developed yeah. what was an eating disorder that wasn't really given a name. I was ticking the boxes of some kind of disordered eating habits that eventually was told I was um, kind of coined as OSFED, other specified feeding and eating disorders. And never in a million years that I think when I innocently downloaded an app to count my calories, I'd end up at my rock bottom, you know, a few years ago. Um, And just what you said there about 70% of it being genetic. So often we think we can change our body to this unrealistic place through calorie counting. So if someone wants to to lose weight, Sinead, um, usually people go straight to calorie counting as the way to do it. How do people do it or do you suggest that they maybe don't do it at all and go about it a different way? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, obviously I'm an advocate of intuitive eating, which is not aligned, I suppose, with the intentional pursuit of weight loss. Yes. And and I'm not here to ever shame anybody or tell anybody that they shouldn't or couldn't lose weight. That's not what I would say at all. But I think we know through um, research, the, the way people are told now to, you know, eat less and move more, and that's going to result in weight loss. Unfortunately, what we're seeing is actually the opposite. This, this mm-hmm. dieting is having, is increasing people's weight long term. So I, I suppose I would suggest that if somebody is interested in wanting to feel better, and what's the why behind wanting to lose weight? For Great some people, question. if it is about wanting to feel better, you know, there are loads of ways that we can engage in health-promoting behaviours that actually, if we are above our natural set-point weight, our body will, when we become intuitive eaters and we find movement that we enjoy and we engage in these different important um, health-promoting behaviours, our body will will naturally find the ways that it's most comfortable at. And that might not fit what we see uh, like in the magazines and our media. Yeah. But the reality is, is only like less than 5% of the world's population fits into this beauty ideal that we see everywhere. Less than 5%. It's funny... Speaking about health promoting behaviours and talking about like looking better, feeling better, the message I try to get across here, and I'll probably say it at some point in the show every single week, is rather than thinking look better, feel better, we need to start thinking if we feel better, 
we will look better because naturally our mindset will change if we start chasing the, the, the feeling of being better rather than looking better. But it's very difficult when someone comes to you saying, I want to lose weight. Society has told me to lose weight. The magazines have told me to lose weight. And you're telling me that I need to, to chase health. I'm feeling good. And then they move on to the next person. But I suppose the message we're trying to get across is how can you keep moving from one diet to the next before you finally cave and try something different? And we want to stop people from trying all these different diets and move straight into what you are coining as intuitive eating. Now, this might be a very new term to a lot of our listeners here today. Can you tell us a little bit about what intuitive eating is, please, tonight? Yeah, of course. And I think just even to circle back, you, you know, mm-hmm. you're spot on about what you said there in relation to sometimes like I ask people when they message me that kind of in distress, I need to lose weight. And, I, and I'd say, well, how has it worked out so far when it comes to dieting? Yes. Like what does dieting cost you mentally, emotionally, financially, you know, all the rest physically? Um, and usually when we when we look at it, some of us have tried up on 40, 50 diets in the space of yes. 10 or 15 years. And just so, to to um, say calorie counting is a form of a diet. That would be correct. Oh, absolutely. Yes, just yeah, to clarify absolutely. that to the listeners. Yeah. Yes, it's very much a dieting behaviour, absolutely. But I think in terms of intuitive eating, intuitive eating, um, I suppose first to say that we wouldn't need a framework to tell us, show us how to eat if it wasn't for diet culture in the first place. So if we, if we weren't kind of um, exposed to all this, the diet culture messaging from yes. very, very young ages, we wouldn't need to have this framework. And basically it is a self-care eating framework and it's evidence-based. I mean, there's 150 plus, um, you know, research articles on intuitive eating now. So it's not Brilliant. some kind of like food or something we've made, yeah. we've made up uh, and really it's like a mind body health approach and there are that. 10 principles that kind of allow us to unlearn all of the diet culture messaging that we've all like been exposed to for so many years and it, it, it allows us to relearn how to listen to our bodies like our bodies are so super smart they know what foods satisfy us they know what foods make us feel full and energized they know what foods make us feel awful and lethargic and bloated mm-hmm. but so often we're not listening to our bodies because we're listening to the outside noise of this has this many calories this food is good for you and this food is bad for you and, and what all we don't realize is we yeah. subconsciously are listening to that noise so when i was in i think it was third year or fifth year in school i remember seeing a certain brand of cereal and there was this challenge that she done to look like the lovely lady in the red swimsuit and i started doing I it when i was you know about. the one you know we won't name names here today no but we won't. <laughs> here i was thinking i was doing something healthy and little did i know this was diet culture subconsciously planting a seed in my brain that down the line was going to tear me apart and it it did just that so when it comes to intuitive eating it's not about weight loss at all would i be right no. in saying that yeah, I mean, it's not it's not anti-weight loss. Some people, and the reason we don't talk about, I, I suppose, as much that people, of course, people can lose weight when they embark upon an intuitive eating journey. But the reason why we don't share that is because people will hear that and grab onto it and say, yes. oh, well, great, I'm going to start intuitive eating and lose this weight. And they kind of use it as a diet. And so many people do use it as a diet starting off. But it's not aligned with the intentional pursuit of weight loss, which is very different to if your body naturally loses weight through listening to to your body cues. Yeah. That's yeah. one thing that I try to get across to people if they 
when I'm trying to get them to focus more on a health goal instead of a weight loss goal, it's very hard to say, look, I'm not saying you're not going to lose weight because there's a very, very high potential that you will down the line if you take on these health promoting behaviours. But I don't want you to start this journey with the idea of, okay, brilliant, down the line, I know that's to come. We need people to kind of shake this ideal. Um, So if people want to be a little bit more intuitive and kind of start this intuitive eating mindset, what questions can we ask ourselves daily to be a little bit more intuitive? Yeah, I think like even starting with, you know, even the minute we wake up in the morning, like just doing a little body check in, you know, what am I noticing in my body right now? What are the sensations that I'm noticing? Even the thoughts that are going on in my mind, because I think so we're we're living busy lives, aren't we? Like, I mean, look, we're all going nine to five. You know, it's busy. There's so many projects, different activities. Never stops. It it never stops. Mm. And like when it's go, 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 are we really taking the time to listen in to see what our body might be trying to tell us? And sometimes it might be just a matter of scheduling in re- regular little breaks like you might set like a timer on your or your timer on your watch do you hear me I sound about 90 yeah. on your, <laughs> you know you might set a little uh, what do you call it on your on your smartphone or whatever um, just just a little yeah. alarm that will remind you check just to in. do some deep breathing yeah. or even do a like a guided three minute body scan I use the exactly. Calm app and I think it's brilliant the way you can just do a three minute body scan three minutes yeah. can completely reset you one, one word that you use there well too body check do a body check and I love that because often I think people associate the term body check with I get up in the morning I check my weight I take a picture in the mirror I have a look at what my body looks like in the mirror and we want to kind of completely change the idea of a body check to stopping thinking breathing and connecting internally I love that yeah, absolutely. No, we're certainly not talking about wig or looking at the yes. mirror or looking at our physical Let's body. Let's change that definition of a body internally. check. Yeah. yeah. Two more questions yeah. for you, Sinead. So I saw one of your posts on Instagram. Your page is amazing. And we were saying how a lot of people have the mindset of, well, I can't have chocolate because I'm addicted to it. Or I can't have bread because I'm addicted to it. Once I pop, I can't stop. Um, and we're trying to let people know there's no such thing as an addiction necessarily to chocolate or to bread. So if someone is sitting at home going, oh, I've used that sentence a million times, how can they change that mindset? Yeah, look at I used it myself for years. I, I was full blown. Con- I, I was convinced I was a. I used to call myself a chocoholic. I mean, that's what I yeah, used to say, yeah. right? And or you know, and it's 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 so problematic because again, our mindset is so key and how we perceive food and our relationship to it. Um, but ultimately, we know that like very different to other substances, so very different to alcohol or drugs or gambling per se. When an individual is exposed to these very substances or experiences when they when they are truly addictive the the consumption we 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 crave more and we uh, consume more the more we are exposed to to that but the actual the opposite happens with food so and this happened to me I, I developed what, what we call food habituation so this is where now I can have chocolate in my house at all times now 24 yes. 7 and because I've become habituated to it I no longer have that intense cravings Love or it. feel like that I can't be without it my body knows that it's safe that it's there I know that I can have it with it whenever I want and, and that's what we know from the studies with quote-unquote food addiction is that actually Actually, I, I don't believe it exists at all. But that's I not agree. to say 
that it doesn't feel very real. It feels very much that like process. addictive yeah. and it can feel very out of control for people. So I totally empathise. It's a really difficult place to be with food. And I've been there as much as you have. I suffered with binging for a very, very, very long time. But that was just because I was restricting myself and telling myself I was addicted to these foods. Once I let them in, that initial process raised a lot of anxiety. When I was initially letting in the foods, I used to tell myself I, I couldn't have because I could never stop. That initial period is scary. But after that, you just become uh, habituated to it. Is that the term? That's, that's yes. it, exactly. Brilliant. When we have that food around us, we look at, if you want to use chocolate over Christmas as an example, like so many of us like don't have chocolate for a lot of the year. And then it's, it's no wonder that when like the roses are out at Christmas, yeah. that some of us just cannot keep our hand out of the pot. I love, but the, I saw, you know, just to say, I saw your story and um, about the Easter eggs being in the shops already. In, this was back oh, in yeah, January, I, I think them. you had the story <laughs> up. And you, you prefer the Galaxy Easter egg. What's the point in waiting till Easter? Stock up on them now you can have an easter egg now it's the same as having it in april why do we go so crazy on them i love that mentality um sinead just to wrap it up um if someone is looking to seek help and or advice for an eating behavior they're struggling with what should they be looking for so I think certainly reaching out to like a a non-diet dietitian or non-diet yeah, non-diet <clears throat> dietitian uh, that specialises uh, in eating disorders would be, uh, I suppose, top. If you're, if you're, if you are concerned about some of your behaviours, you really want to meet with somebody has, that that has expertise and knowledge when it comes to eating disorders. Brilliant. So, uh, and there are a range available. There's a website where you can where you can source that. Um, you know, but I suppose look at also there's loads of free resources. I mean, if you want to obviously check out our Instagram page. Hopefully yes. There'll be so a lot of your Instagram page. If someone wants to go and find you is at intuitive.eating.ireland. Is that right, Sinead? That's right, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Sinead, thank you so much for your time today. That was such an interesting discussion. I hope everyone at home found it really helpful here on the Power Hour on KCLR. The KCLR Power Hour with Nathalie Lennon. Now, I am so excited for this interview. In studio with me, I have an athlete, coach, school commandant at the Defence Forces Physical Education School. I hope I've got this right. He is also with Kilkenny City Harriers Athletics Club. We have James Leddingham. How are you doing? Natalie, I'm great. Thanks a million for having us in. I hope I got your title correct there, did I? Absolutely spot on. Well done. (laughs) Fair play. Come here. I'm thrilled to have you in studio. We only got talking for the first time two weeks ago. um, And I was so excited to hear about all of your personal running experiences. So to kick off the interview, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your own running journey, maybe? Okay, no problem. Um, So I suppose my life has been very much influenced by, by running and started running at the age seven, eight. Um, would come from a family who would have been heavy in horses, actually. So during the summer months, we would have spent our time show jumping, uh, going to wow. Gymkhana's, going to um, show events. Small and then, world, because I'm the same. My dad was a racehorse trainer. So okay, so okay, excellent. <laughs> um, so then in the winter, obviously, horses are, um, are you're not as active with them, and we'd have ran cross-country. And I would have had a lot of success underage at national level, and I suppose off the back of that success, you get drawn into it. Absolutely. Um, and as it evolved, my my love gravitated more towards running as it did for the horses. And enjoyed it. And towards the end of secondary school, 
they would have my coaches would have been pushing me for scholarship in the states didn't really like the idea of going to america um would have been introduced to the idea of going to the army and actually my uncle was um an equitation um officer in the defense forces so i'd have known i'd been aware of of a commission and what would have been involved there so I went for a cadetship and was successful um, off the back of my leaving and the military aspects took over for a year or two and then I gravitated back towards the running. And then throughout my career since I've I've been dipping in and out of it. So for the, for the military I would have represented um, them in Hyderabad in India in 2007 and I would have went to Rio in 2011. And I've competed basically for 15 years as a senior um, at national and international level over eight and fifteen hundred meters. That is incredible. So over eight to fifteen hundred meters. And when you, because we had a little chat about this, you'll have to remind me. Kind of five k, ten k distances. Would you run them often yourself, or you more kind of shorter distance, fast beat? Um, so in my main career, it would have been that middle distance, yeah. and that's where I would have excelled. So coming back to five k, ten k might be for a lot of people what it's like to come back towards a marathon. Yeah, it would be getting a little bit too long for me in terms of range, but probably as I head into my later career now I'm doing more 5Ks, 10Ks because you don't need as much specific track exactly. work and it's easier to yeah. train for that. Um, so I'm probably delving a little bit more into that now and then I would have been coaching basically since I was in my late teens. I would have started off uh, with a, a club in, in Limerick when I was in college there. Fantastic. And I would have coached a lot of uh, individual athletes so probably that's where I'm more heavily involved now. Brilliant. So it's great to know that you are back kind of doing the 5k, 10k mark because I feel like a lot of our listeners today will probably be looking to maybe get going or reach that level of running. Um, can I ask you one question before we dive into that more? What is it about running that you love so much? Because personally... I get addicted to the runner's high. That's There's no endorphin flow like anything else that compares to post-run for me. What is it about running that you love so much? Um, I suppose initially it would have been exactly that. And it's the competitive side. To be successful at a sport obviously brings about um, an attraction uh, for it. Self-competitive or competitive with others? Um, both. You'll be both. Yeah. Um, there's nothing more exciting, especially in the likes of eight, 1500 meter races where you're putting yourself in a tactical position and you know that the people around you, you could beat them or you're at least hoping that you can beat them. Yeah. And, and there's that real sense of competitiveness. Um, but as, as time evolved, I probably became more aware of the benefits for me in terms of my career. So obviously uh-huh. with the Defence Forces, being active through running would have benefited my career. Um, any of the physical courses that you would have completed then you would have been excelling Absolutely. in. Um, yeah. And then as I suppose later in life, it would have been the physical gains of running. Um, it's, it's one of the easiest sports that you can be involved in or physical activities that you can be mm-hmm. involved in. You walk out your door and any place that you, you know, be it the road, paths, etc. Um, and that's is, is where, sorry to cut in, but just to say during the pandemic, obviously that's where so many people took up running for the first time when they'd maybe never done it before because all we could do was walk at our door and use our, our five kilometre radius during that time. Um, so moving on to my next question for you, James. How can someone, this came in so much because I asked my Instagram followers to pop in any questions for our expert here today. How can someone go about beginning to train for a 5k or 10k race or run, for example? Do you just go ahead and go for it, one um, when my followers said, or do you do a few minutes at a time? What is your best piece of advice when it comes to starting to train for a 5 or 10k distance? I suppose it's, it's first off, to put a plan in place. If you're going to invest so much time in something um, to structure your week and not to just go out one day a week and try and get all your running in, 
but to actually look at distributing it across the week and using the seven days. So if you're going to run three days a week, look at how you, you actually plan that. And then beyond that, how you're going to progress it so that you have progression week on week. And, and the guide that I would give there is 10%. And normally what I would suggest with people that I work with is to work off time rather okay. than distance. Okay. I think it's a more protective way of, of guiding your training. So if you start off this week and you do 30-minute run um, and you're coming from an experience of, of, of running or some sort of physical exercise, you might be at that start point. Yeah. Then next week, your, your run might move on to a 35-minute run that you don't just go from 30 to 50 because you're, you're going to... Uh, Obviously, put a lot of stress on the body. That's not ten percent. <laughs> uh, well, thirty-three minutes so for, yeah. your, for your first one and, and beyond that, um, and then that you'd that you cycle your training and even not to go hard every time that you run, and that's a huge pitfall for for beginners particularly. And it happens g- quite a lot. A lot. Mm-hmm. So you go out the door, you have the same route, same distance. And every evening that you run, you're looking at the time. And if you're running slower than you did the previous one, mm-hmm. you're starting to get disillusioned. And that shouldn't yeah. be the case at all. So even progressing onto that, that you go with an 80-20 rule. So 80% of your exercise should be low intensity running. Or you could cross train, uh, be it on an elliptical trainer or a little bit of bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that you have a certain amount and that's, that's quality based. And the way that I would describe it to people when they're designing their training is that you run above the pace that you hope to race at, below the pace that you hope to race at, and at the pace that you hope to race at. That is absolutely brilliant, James. I've never, because I have listened to so many podcasts and studied a lot about running myself and done quite a bit, I've never heard someone say that 80-20 rule with regards to running. And I think that is powerful because a lot of my followers would be pushing themselves a lot every single day doing high intensity training that reminds you to really bring it down I also use that 80-20 kind of metaphor when it comes to life and your overall kind of balance with nutrition you know 80% whole foods um, nutritious rich foods 20% balance you know your chocolate your drinks whatever it is so I love that 80 20 and um, when it comes to so you mentioned like maybe three days running when it comes to strength training alongside your running how important is that um so obviously strength training reduces injury risk it strengthens yeah. muscles and um the connective tissue um improves uh boost your your neuromuscular coordination and power and it improves running economy so mm-hmm. the two things that would contribute to performance would be your, your physiological gains which is what's happening inside the body mm-hmm. and then how efficiently that you move so obviously strength based training is is going to to help you there um so it doesn't need to be going to the gym lifting heavy weights. Um, for most athletes, I would suggest Pilates can be a quite good start point. And particularly looking at center girdle mobility. So that mobility around your, your pelvic area. Yeah. So most of our injuries from that stem into, into running come are associated in some way with imbalances or tightness around the the hip area yeah you're looking at someone who's had serious hip injuries here as a result of just that (laughs) so very very simple mobility exercises some activation exercises and when i talk about core i'm not talking about like your your abdominal muscles i'm talking about that whole center girdle area so from your glutes round to 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 your lower abdominal muscles and if you've got a good strong solid base everything else will be strong off it 
I think the last kind of four sentences that you've just said for anyone listening or listening back on this on Spotify come the time I just want people to hear that again and again and again because I didn't know that when I was really into running it was just like go out and run and just do it and run as hard as you can go into the gym and lift and lift as heavy as you can and I wasn't working on my core and thinking about that whole area my glutes included and that led to a partially torn hip labrum not sure if you've ever heard of that injury never goes away it's still there but we're, we're learning to work around it but as just someone who can say from what you have just said it's so important that people who are starting off their running journey really take heed of that and work on their strength on their core or their pilates or a little bit of weight training don't try to do everything all at once and go out the door and just run fast every single day and in the back in the back of your mind always should be that my strength training shouldn't take my running it should complement it brilliant so the day that you go to the gym and you come away feeling really domsy that's a day that you work too hard. Yeah. So that would definitely be my advice. On Rest the, on and recover exciting. before you go back into the gym or running again. Absolutely. Um, so then my next question for you, let's put this down to nutrition. We hear so often about carb loading before our runs and I see it a lot on Instagram as well. I'm going for my 5K, so I'm carb loading and sometimes I question a lot of what I see there. When it comes to fueling yourself before and after your run, would you have any advice here? So I suppose overall with nutrition, particularly if you're speaking about 5K, 10K athletes, we can only store so much glycogen in our muscles. So this idea of carb loading really doesn't um, hold much much weight for me. Even when it comes to marathons, I'd be careful because you can bring about gastro issues. So if you go taking on something the night before a marathon, that's particularly where carb loading would would come into play. You might actually upset your stomach that it's not used to taking on that Mm -hmm. amount of carbs. And you might spend a lot of your time in your marathon in the in the port to lose along the way yeah. which is definitely not what you want so when you talk about nutrition my take on it and you you hit it lovely earlier with the the 80 20 rule mm-hmm. so that you have a balanced diet the foods that you take on are mineral and nutrient dense mm-hmm. plenty of fruit and veg plenty of fiber um and that you have your square meals across the week and obviously you have your your little sheet foods uh, or your sheet night for your yeah, takeaway or whatever it might exactly. be so it's all about balance and perspective really exactly. when it comes to nutrition yeah. for me so when it comes to the 5k 10k mark really there's nothing you need to do a whole lot different apart from maybe not eating too close to your run and just hydrating well before and after your run which definitely say? um for me anyway I would prefer to go into a 5k, 10k run with an empty stomach okay. than to go in feeling a little bit bloated. Oh yeah. So you might, if you have a little bit of of um, a hunger before you go, it might be something light. Yeah. I would avoid uh, taking on something that's heavy in potassium. So be careful when you eat like bananas mm. pre-race because that can actually bring on a stomach cramp. So something that that is simple sugars um, just offsets your hunger and will get you through your training or your event um, and if you're in 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 an event that's less than 75 minutes would be the mark, yep. you don't really need to fuel during that event. Brilliant. Um, and also then we talk about hydration. Unless you're talking about a, a really hot day, you don't need to be taking on fluids. You don't need to be carrying your water bottle with you with when you're you. doing your 5K or 10K. Brilliant. Obviously, if there's there's water stations along the way, take on your fluids. Yeah. But you don't need a, a backpack of stuff going brilliant. through the event. James, this is brilliant. You are busting so many myths for all of our <laughs> listeners right now. Okay, my next question for you. Beyond the 10 kilometre mark, obviously we've just had um, a chat with Amy from VHI and that is a 10k uh, race or run. But when it comes to the advice beyond this, someone's looking to do a half marathon, which I've done myself, or a full marathon, which I 
can't even comprehend. What is your advice when it comes to scaling up your training for longer distances? Because often we hit kind of mental blocks and we think, oh, I can't, I can't run past 5K. I just stop. I can't go any further. What advice would you give there? So back to what I was saying to you earlier about time. Time yeah. is a great way of progressing your, your training week on week. So if you start off this week and you're going to have four runs, five runs in the week, just gently bring all of those runs up incrementally week on week. And particularly when you're talking about marathon, we, we gravitate towards the, the infamous long run. Mm-hmm. So with your long run, that you're giving yourself enough time to get to the, the amount of the appropriate amount of time on feet. Like really when I talk about long run, I talk about time on feet as opposed to pace. Brilliant. So with a marathon block, what you really want your athletes to have is a preconditioning phase before of at least two, three months, and then a marathon specific block of four months. And at the start of your marathon specific block, what you'd like your athletes to have is a consistent running time of maybe 80 to 90 minutes. And that allows you a really good start point that you can safely progress them from your start point of your marathon specific block to your marathon. And you keep it really controlled. You increase week on week safely. Yeah. And whatever you get to, you get to. So it's not to get to three hours, you know, um, and then to jump to four hours because you think you're going to run a four hour marathon. Yeah. If you get four hours in your prep, or three hours in your prep, you will definitely cover your four-hour marathon. There'll be Absolutely, no question about that. Yeah. That is brilliant. So ideally, what you want to do is four months before your marathon, be at an 80 to 90 minute kind of running time. Yeah, is so if you built up to yeah. that, that would be a good start point. Brilliant, yeah, because that was a question that came in a lot. You know, could I run it in, in three months? Could I could I prep for a marathon? Not really. You want to give yourself a lot more time than that to prevent injuries. Well, there's a lot of success can become from running 5Ks, 10Ks, and the mini marathon has been really successful in well, achieving that, distance, that for people. Yes, yeah. So for some people starting out when you haven't run before, and now you're trying to get into structure training, 10K is a long distance. That's a Oh good, my gosh, yeah, yes. you know, And when so you stop running for some time, because I was at the 21, 22K mark, then I stopped for a year or two with the injuries. 10K now seems impossible to me. I'm wondering will I ever get there again? So I think we that's very important to remind the listeners that 10K is a really, really uh, tough challenge and something to be really proud of as well if you reach it, as Absolutely. is 5K. Absolutely, Absolutely. If you've never ran a 5K before and you start training and you finish out continuous running of a 5K, you are up in the top percent of the population in Ireland of what they could actually achieve. Yes, so I love don't that. Take it, don't take it for granted, certainly not. So, come here, I'm going to quick fire some questions at you now, okay? Absolutely. So, quick fire means we're, we want to try answer these in like 10, 20 seconds, so I'm putting you under pressure, but I want to make sure I get to you as much as I can. Oh, this one isn't going to be hard to answer quickly, but come here, we'll try. Post-COVID running, what do you do? Uh, so, <clears throat> what I'd say with, with, with post-COVID running is that you need to be very careful coming back. Like your body's been through a, a very serious illness and you just need to monitor your your energy levels and you might just start off with, with a walk and there are some really good guidelines out there as to um, there's there's uh, kind of higher level pro athlete coming back or yeah. there's lower end and just Google it, look at what's there and follow those. If you feel good, little and often, build it up over the course of a few weeks and for most, you'll actually have missed out in a week or two training because of COVID. Yes. So now you've lost fitness as well. So it's to appropriately come back at a level that's safe um, and that doesn't put your body under too much pressure. Listen to your body, yeah. Absolutely. Um, what shoes are best for short road running? Or your personal preference even? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> so I, I'd always be very careful when you're advising on, on shoes. There's, so, there's no such thing as the perfect shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to running, you have to consider biomechanics, weight, your, even the shape of your foot. 
um, is important. But what I would say to people is go and buy a shoe that's designed for running. Middle of the road, has good structure, good form, and use it only for running. Brilliant. Yeah, that is a very solid point because lots of people get a shoe and think it's their gym shoe and their running shoe. You need a separate shoe. Absolutely, because you actually decompress your shoe by walking around in a day-to-day. And it takes about 24 or 48 hours for your your shoe to actually come back to its shape. So if you spend, you know, whatever, eight hours of your day in the shoe that you're going to run in, now you've actually taken away the performance of that shoe. And the foam technology now has become such a big part Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of the running shoes, you're actually reducing the, the, the... the integrity of the shoe. I've never, I never knew that before. That's a really, really um, solid point for all of our listeners. I think we'll all be taking that one home along with a million others that you've given us today, James. I had so many more questions for you, but we're just going to have to get you back again soon to answer That's them. No problem um, at all. So we're going to have to round up here soon, but before I let you go, if people want to get in touch with you, James, Oracle Kenny City Harriers, what is the best way to do so? Okay, so for, for myself, you could link in with my, my Facebook, um, so James Lettingham, L-E-D-I-N-G-H-A-M, um, or with KCH, they have their own website, info at kch.ie, yeah. um, and on the website, there's, there's contacts there, so if you want to get involved with the Fit for Life aspect of the club, which would literally be somebody new to, to running, um, and obviously they have an established uh, senior club as well, so anybody's welcome along to any of the sessions. The KCL or Power Hour with Nathalie Lennon. Thank you so much for joining me here again for our 18th show here doing the Power Hour on KCLR. I hope you enjoyed our episode tonight where we went back onto our best bits so far since we began. Don't forget we're back here next Wednesday at 6pm. I hope you all have a lovely evening. Don't go anywhere because we have fully loaded on its way for you after the 7 o'clock news.